0: Well, good morning, family. I know what you need this Christmas. I know it would make the perfect gift for you because it would make the perfect gift for me. It's something that only God can provide, and Jesus is ready to give it to us today. However, if you want this gift, you are going to have to fight It was 700 years before the birth of Jesus that the prophet Isaiah prophesied one of 300 Old Testament prophecies about the long-awaited Messiah. And he said this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Wouldn't it be nice to have some peace this Christmas season? And and we're not talking about the peace that's the absence of conflict or when everything goes our way. No, this is shalom peace in the Hebrew. This is an inner peace, no matter the outer circumstances. This this is a a state of being, a, a, a feeling within mankind. Something that Jesus brings to our earth for us to experience an inner peace no matter what's going on on the outside. And if you want this type of peace this Christmas, then you're going to have to fight for it. And so today we we're wrapping up our Worth Fighting For series. And if you've got your, your phone, you can go ahead and, and pull up the app. And, uh, and the first thing you need to understand this morning is that if you want peace, you're going to have to go to war. If you want this peace, you are going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to go to war. And you may say, but Tom, don't I already have victory in Jesus? Yep, you do. However, the moment you decided to follow Jesus is the moment you invited a target upon your life. You see, the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. And the the deal is, we have a real enemy. You know his name, and he's after us. Now, several of you bless me throughout the week and and each Sunday, and you'll say things to me. You'll say, Tom, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for Kurt. I'm praying for our pastors, because I know Satan would love to take out our pastors. And what I want you to know is that I'm praying for you, because Satan will take whoever he can get. He would love to take out some some believing stay-at-home moms or or some Christian teenagers or or some doctors, some lawyers. Whoever he can get, he'd love to take out. And I know sometimes when we talk about spiritual attack, that sometimes we overuse that phrase. Sometimes we'll we'll kind of use that to explain everything that's not working out in our life. you've, You've met the Christians who everything is a spiritual attack. Let me just tell you this morning. If your iPhone did not charge last night, it's not because you're under spiritual attack, okay? Um, If you did not get the donut you wanted at the cafe this morning, you are not under spiritual attack. You may have a heart attack later, but you are not under spiritual attack. And, And I know sometimes we go, oh, work, you know, the boss is on me and I am under such spiritual attack. And you might be under spiritual attack, but my guess is you're probably underperforming. And this is why I say that, because that's not Satan's style. Satan doesn't waste too much of his time doing an outer attack when he knows it's so easy for him to do an inward attack. You see, Satan will go after our strongest weapon against him, and he will use it against us. When God created the elephant, he gave him size, he gave him strength, he gave him a trunk. When God created the lion, he gave him claws, he gave him teeth, he gave him a roar. When God created us, he gave us a mind. A mind unlike any other created being. And Satan knows that he can use a real weapon against us. And it's our strongest weapon against him, but we so often open it up to him. You see, the devil's not planning out how to get a terrorist to take all of us out. No, he knows there's already a terrorist in here doing the job for him. And as soon as he can get in there, he will rob us of our peace. He loves to get in there and use real barriers that keep us from the peace that Jesus brought for us to experience. And he'll use barriers like discontentment and worry. He'll get our minds going. It was several years ago that I had the, uh, the privilege of, of leading a mission trip to Africa. And I got to bring several teenagers and young adults and adults And there. We got to do work in Nairobi, Kenya, in a place called Mathari Valley, which is one of the largest slums in the world. Over a million people stacked on top of each other in these tin huts. No electricity, no running water, just poverty. And uh, we we got to work with the children, we got to teach them Bible verses, we we got to uh, feed people who were dying of AIDS, we got to uh, bring a bunch of medical supplies, and and we had some physicians with us and and help out the community. And one of my favorite things we got to do was go into the slums, into those huts, they were not very big, and a few of us would go inside and we'd talk to the few people in there. And while we were talking there would be somebody on a rickety loud ladder on the outside of this tin hut and they'd climb up to the top and they would cut a hole in the roof and they would slide a piece of clear plexiglass through these tin shingles and all of a sudden for the first time ever daylight would permeate the inside of these huts and the people their faces would literally illuminate they you know they'd never had that hut so, so bright before. It was also a little unnerving because as soon as light hit it, you realized that we're, there weren't just a few people in there. Like, Grandpa was standing behind me the whole time, and I didn't know it. It was a little freaky, and, and there's people in the corners. And, but for the first time, there was light in those huts, and, and we would share. We'd, think, we'd say, you think this is great. Let us tell you about the light of the world. Let us tell you about Jesus, about how God sent his son to be a permanent light within your life. If you just make him Lord and Savior. And, and one of the times when we were doing this, there were three young adult men who, who came over to see what the commotion was all about. And they entered into this tin hut. And, and I remember we, we started retelling the story. We, we shared with them every scripture verse we could think of. We, we, we told them every you know, cool story about Jesus we could think of. And, and then I just asked them. I say, guys, would you like the light of Jesus in your life? Would you like to make him Lord and Savior of your life today? And they kind of looked at each other. And they looked at me. And they said, well, that would be nice. But before we could ever do that, we need wives. Nobody really wants to marry us. It's probably because we don't have a house. We don't really have even one of these huts to call our own That's because we can't get jobs. We need jobs. No one's hiring us. We need better clothes. We could definitely use some food. And they just kept going on about all the things they didn't have. And in that moment, I had no idea what to say. Because all I could think about is back home in the States, I have a nice house. I've got a beautiful wife and kids. I don't even think about... Uh, so the clothes that, that I own or the the food that I might have that day. And yet, I have a list too. I, I have a list that, that gets in the way where, where I go, Jesus, as soon as I reach this financial goal, I'll totally do that thing you've been pressing on my heart. You know, as soon as I can resolve this family issue, then you know I'm on fire for you. You know I'm all about living out the life that you've you've set for me. You know I'm all about enjoying the peace you give. But But yet our discontentment gets in the way. We start hyper-focusing on what we don't yet have or protecting what we do have. Or sometimes that voice in our head, it'll even get personal. It won't be like, oh, you'll never get the money. It'll be like, you don't have what it takes you'll never measure up and it just attacks us and it goes over and over on repeat to the point it becomes worry because that's what worry is it's just restating a problem over and over without ever offering a solution and we just let it play in our heads we just let it rob us of the peace and the worst thing we could do this morning is act like we don't worry because <laughs> we do myself included We worry. We worry. And we worry most about that which we are most devoted to. In other words, worry is personal. It is. Um, I'm going to say this. Probably not a good pastor thing to say, but let's go for it. Um, I don't worry about your job. Now, now you may come up to me this morning and say, Tom, I'm really concerned about things going on at work. I will pray with you. I, I will add you to my weekly prayer list and then I will go home and I will sleep fine. All right? I, 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 don't worry. I don't worry about your kids doing well at school. I worry about my kids. I don't worry about your retirement. I, I, I don't worry about how your house's renovations are going. I, I don't worry about it because what we worry about is personal to us. If you want to find out what you care about the most, it'll be that which you worry about the most. Because we worry about that which we are most devoted to. So then the question remains, what if we could shift our devotion? Would that then change what we worry about or how much we worry for that matter? See, Jesus tackles this in one of the best sermons ever preached. In Matthew 6, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. And he says, do not worry four times in nine verses. And uh, if you were to read this in the King James, it, it would translate... It's a take no thought. It's not going, don't think about these things. It's going, don't let it take over your mind. Don't let it reoccur. Problem, 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 no solution. And then, if you know anything about you know, studying scriptures, when you hit that word therefore, it's always important to figure out what therefore is therefore. <laughs> and usually when you're studying scriptures, it points you back to the previous text. So in verse 24, Jesus says, look, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why does Jesus, before he starts talking about worry, bring up the topic of money? (laughs) Because 70% of us say the number one thing we worry about is money. And uh, if you were to go back into the original Greek uh, of which this was written, and you come across that word money, you would would hit the root word, the Greek root word of mammon. And mammon simply means stuff. What's your stuff? What are you most devoted to? What do you tend to worry about? And maybe it's stuff you have, and maybe it's stuff you don't yet have. Well, Jesus says this, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? And you're going, Tom, I got this. I don't worry about what I eat or drink, I don't worry about what I wear. And for many of us, we already know that. It shows. But that's why Jesus starts with do not worry. About your life. In other words, do not worry about keeping your job, about being single, about your prodigal son and daughter and will they ever return, about school choice, about medical issues, about family drama. And it's not that these things are not important, they are. It's just with each one of them, there's a certain level of uncertainty attached. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. It could all go bad. And it might. And it might go bad. It's the uncertainty that gets us into worrying. And and what Jesus is trying to do is simply broaden our perspective. Saying, guys, don't get so hyper-focused on the stuff. Don't get so focused in that that's all you can see. I need you to step back for a second. I need you to gain some perspective. Isn't life more than your job? Isn't it more than even your kids? Isn't it more than your retirement? Isn't it? I need you to step back and see something. And Jesus delivers something to expand our perspective. Are you ready for it? Jesus says... Look at the birds. What? (laughs) Look at the birds? Jesus, I don't have time to look at the birds. I'm wondering if my husband's going to come back. I'm wondering if I can pay these bills next week. I'm wondering if my children are going to make it. And Jesus would just stand there, I imagine, and go, are you done yet? Look at the birds. They don't have a 401k. They don't have a college education they're not putting helmets and pads and leashes on their kids to protect them. No, they build a nest as high as they can in a tree, take the baby birds to the edge, and just push them out. <laughs> They're not using Quicken, they don't have day planners. And yet, your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Have you seen birds? They move a lot. They're always building. They're hunting. And when it's time to rest, they rest. And so Jesus is saying, you know, do nothing. No, he's saying, try hard today and let God worry about tomorrow. Look at the birds. Are you not much more loved than they? Even the birds know it. But this morning, do you know it? God loves you More than he loves birds. I want you to say that with me on the count of three. I want you to say, God loves me more than birds. You ready? One, two, three. God loves me more than birds. One more time so it sticks. Here we go. God loves me more than birds. How do you know God loves you more than birds? Because when it came time for God to show this world how much he loved it and the inhabitants within it, he did not send his son in the form of an elephant. He did not send his son in the form of a bird. He sent his son in the form of mankind so that we would know how much God loves us. And Even the birds get that. You see, the birds understand you can have uncertainty today without worrying about tomorrow. The uncertainty is not going to change. You can have uncertainty and still not worry. Jesus spends his next verses demolishing the idea of worry. In verse 27, he says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? In other words, worry is ineffective. It doesn't gain us any time doesn't help us through the process. It's ineffective. And a few verses later, he'll say this. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. In fact, each day has enough trouble of its own. There's a famous quote that says, Planning for tomorrow is time well spent. Worrying about tomorrow is time wasted. Because worry is inefficient. It is a waste of time. It gains us nothing. Don't believe me? Think of whatever you're worrying about today or whatever you worried about yesterday. Now think 20,000 years from now. It will not matter. Hopefully because you're in heaven going, I don't know why I got so worked up about that. Or if the earth still exists, then people on earth are going, I don't even know who that person is (laughs) or why they worried about that. What's the big deal? Worry, it's inefficient. It is a waste of our time. It doesn't mean we don't plan for our future, but we should not worry about our future. And then Jesus says this, And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You see, Jesus is telling us worry is irrational. If God takes care of the birds and the grass and the flowers, then it stands to reason that he will that much more take care of us. You see, worry is not an issue of intellect. It's an issue of faith. Because we'll have confidence that we'll take care of us today, and then we'll go, but God, will you really... Take care of tomorrow. And the beautiful thing about faith. Faith is when we take our tomorrow and place it within the hands of the only person who can actually do anything about that. But worry is irrational. And then Jesus says this. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. The pagans run after these things. Worry is is irreverent. In other words, it makes sense that the people who believe there is no God worry. If you're one of those, I get it. You should worry. You should. You got you and that's it. And it makes sense for people who don't believe in a God not to worry, but people who have an ounce of connection with Jesus and find themselves stuck in worry are like people who believe there's no God. And Jesus is going, look, you don't have to exist like that. You don't have to live like that. In fact, this is your grand opportunity. Because whether we fill this room up with Christians or non-Christians, I could ask the questions that we all hold in common. I could say, how many of you are worried about your house? How many are you worried about your kids? How many are you worried about your financial future? How many are you worried about? filling the blanks. And guess what? Whether it was Christians or non-Christians, we'd all raise our hands. You see, the difference is not in the trials that we face. But it could be in the way in which we respond. Jesus goes, This is our opportunity. This is our opportunity to stand out in the crowd. This is our opportunity to be the light. This is our opportunity to just look a little bit different. Let me just tell you the good lit kids, my kids, do not worry. You know how I know? Because they leave the milk out. They will go into our refrigerator, they will open the doors, never close them, take out a gallon of milk, find the biggest cup they can find, fill it up with about a half gallon worth of milk, take about two sips and leave all of it out. And then they will go to the front door and they will go out of it, never closing it behind them. And they will come in and out and just leave that door wide open and AC is going out the window and the heat's going up the window and the the bill's going up and they don't care. And I know they don't worry because of socks. My kids think you can live off of one sock. And the reason I know is we buy them two. We buy them two socks. However, they wear them once, and we find one of them on the ground, stinky, smelly, and the other one has disappeared off into eternity. We have no idea where it's gone, and they don't even care that it's gone. And we have this this basket of unmet socks that just piles up like a foot every year. It just gets bigger and bigger. And my kids don't care about socks. They don't care about what they're going to drink and whether there's going to be more of it. They don't care about the conditions of their shelter. They don't care about their clothes. You know why? Because they have a Father who provides. And so do you. He knows. You don't even have to tell Him. He knows your needs because he created you with those needs. He knows your emotional, your nutritional, your sexual needs. And he promised to supply all that you need. And you may say, but Tom, I don't think he's supplying what I need right now. Well, it's probably because you don't need it right now. But he knows. And it's important to him. So let him take care of it. Let him be in charge. And you may say, Tom, this all sounds great. Thanks for coming up here, sharing that message. That's wonderful. But I'm going to walk out here, and I'm going to keep worrying. Because you can't just tell me to stop worrying, and that fixes it. It's kind of like telling somebody, hey, go to sleep, and sure. You know, or or you know, we can go to each other, hey, buddy, you need to stop worrying. You go, thanks, we'll get right on that, jerk. You know, it, it's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. That's not going to do it for us. But Jesus doesn't leave us hanging hanging there. He offers us a real solution. There I was in Africa, in that hut with three young adult men. I shared everything I knew to share. And all they shared back was their laundry list of everything they they did not yet have. They said, as soon as we get that, then we can surrender our lives to Jesus. And I had no idea what to say next but there was a young African pastor standing next to me who had been following us house to house because he was building up his church. And he grabbed the Bible out of my hands and he started frantically flipping the pages until he came to Matthew chapter six, verse 33. And he read aloud, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And I watched three young men give their life to Christ that day. The solution to worry is to change our primary devotion to God's kingdom. It's saying before God, it's your kingdom today, not mine. It's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, it's your agenda before mine. God, it's your school choice before mine. God, it's your job security before mine. God, it's all you before my family drama, before my concerns. You see, when we focus on Jesus, we are reminded how much God loves us and will then take care of us. You see, you don't have to worry about the how. You don't have to worry about the what when you know the who. See, the birthmark of a believer might be a bullseye. But the remarkable mark upon the mind of anyone close to Christ is the mark of peace. Paul tells us, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. You were called to peace. And that peace is for you, waiting for you this morning. But you need to understand, if you want peace in God, you must first make peace with God. And you may say, Tom, but I'm, I'm a believer. I, I'm not at war with God. You see, that's what makes worry a sin. Sin, it's a sin where we let this message play over and over in our mind, in our heart, and out to the world that God is simply not enough. It's where we allow the energy, where we fight against the God who is so hard fighting for us. It's where we we keep ourselves from experiencing the peace God provided for each one of us because of his deep love for us. And let me just tell you, You will not be able to successfully administrate over all your problems, over all your trials, uh, over every dilemma you have, because it's not your throne in which to be seated. If you want his peace, then you must allow him to rule. If you want him to be your prince of peace today, then he must reside over your life right now as wonderful counselor, as mighty God, as everlasting father who will provide. then you will experience the prince of peace we have a yearly christmas tradition in my house um where we go to this little church in trinity that puts on this big production called journey through bethlehem and i remember the first year we went uh kids were real little and um And and it was the last night of the production. And we didn't know to be there early, so we were at the very end of the line. And we were actually the last group to go through. And my kids, they were wide eyed, ears wide open as we're going through this experience. And they, we, we stumble across the wise men and they tell us about the star and how they've been following it, how there's this great king who's a baby who's been born. And my kids are like looking around for this baby. And, and, and then we, we meet up with the shepherds and the shepherds tell us about the angels talking about this king who's a baby and, and is going to be in Bethlehem. And so, sure enough, the door is open to Bethlehem. And we go in and my kids are looking all around where's this baby? And we go into the Bethlehem marketplace, but before we do that, we actually have to pay our taxes, and so we bring canned goods in, and, and they gave our kids gold coins, which my kids thought was awesome, and, and then we went into the marketplace, and they went to the Bethlehem basket weavers, and they weaved for themselves this bracelet, which they went ahead and placed on themselves, with, wearing it with pride, and and then we went to the, the Bethlehem jeweler, and, and, and they were given necklaces that they could keep. And so they're just wearing these, these you know, shiny bead necklaces. And, and we went to the, the Bethlehem carpenter, and, and they built from themselves this wooden toy for each one of them, their toy. And then as we were done with the marketplace, we turned the corner, and I knew it was coming. Sure enough, there's the hay, there's live sheep. There's goats. There's, there's this teenage girl dressed. She looks like Mary. This teenage boy who's dressed looks like he could be Joseph. And the only problem is they're packing stuff away. And I thought, oh, no. We spent too much time in the marketplace. We've missed it. They probably packed away plastic baby Jesus somewhere with the manger. And, and I thought, oh, no. And so... So I thought, okay, maybe I can go talk to Joseph and see if they can unpack Jesus, the manger, and we can, my kids can experience this. And so I'm going over, getting ready to talk to Joseph, and all of a sudden I hear one of my boys yell, Dad, Dad, I found him. Sure enough, we just had to turn the next corner. And there she was, Mary. And, and there he was, Joseph. There were angels, and then there was a real live baby there in the manger. And I watched that year my kids do something they've done every year since. I watched them get as close as they could to the manger. And they took off their bracelet, and they put it on the ground. And they took off their necklace, and they laid it right there. They took their gold coins, and they just dropped them. And they took the toy they made for themselves, and they left it. Perhaps the baby would enjoy it when you find the baby in the manger, nothing else matters. For many of us this morning, we've been following him for a while, and yet we've still gotten lost. We've still allowed barriers to block us from the peace that he provides. And so for today, no matter where you are, perhaps it's just time to turn the corner and find the baby once again. Perhaps it's time to just simply lay it down. Whatever stuff you brought in here, we're gonna lay it down before we leave. In fact, we're gonna sing a few songs here and and we're gonna give you the opportunity to lay it all down and then we're gonna celebrate his peace. In fact, when we sing these songs, I wanna invite our prayer partners to come forward and if you need somebody to pray with you and to celebrate that with you and to help you lay it down, we want to be there for you. And let me just tell you that if you want peace in God, then you will today have to make peace with God. And when you find peace in God, it comes from the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. I can't even explain it to you, but you'll know it when you find it and experience it. And so today, this weekend, it's time to lay it all down so you can enjoy next weekend. As we sing... As we celebrate, may His peace be